Welcome to Escape the Earth. We are a sci-fi and fantasy podcast broadcasting from an undisclosed location within the San Antonio Public Library. We are supported by the library and by the San Antonio Public Library Foundation. So a big shout out to them. I'm Mary Elizabeth and my other crew members today are Alyssa. Hey everybody. Tim. Good morning. And Marcel. How's it going? Today we're going to be talking about Terry Pratchett's Color of Magic. Before we get into that, though, we just want to warn everyone about a couple of things. First, there will be spoilers. We go into this assuming that you have read the book, so we aren't going to tiptoe through the tulips. If you haven't read the book, hit the pause button, go read it, and come back to us. Part of our goal is to encourage people to read the books. We truly believe you'll get more out of this discussion if you've read. Second, this is geared towards adults. We're not potty mouths or anything, but sometimes the subject matter will not be for youngling ears. Awesome. I threw you a curveball with that <laughs> through the tulips line. <laughs> I think Marcel is going to give us the uh, about Terry Pratchett section. Absolutely. So Terry Pratchett um, is pretty impressive, actually. So he was born in 1948 and he had his first published story when he was just 13. Once he left school at 17, he became a journalist to continue writing and published his first novel, The Carpet People. In 1971, he went on to produce a phenomenally successful Discworld series, which we're going to be talking about today, of course. And he proved critics wrong and became one of the most successful UK authors, receiving a knighthood in 2009 and seeing many of his books adapted for the screen. He died in 2015 after a long struggle with Alzheimer's. And if you guys want more information about him, of course, you can visit his website where there's lots of information about the timeline and him getting knighted and everything like that. So he's really impressive and he's seems like a very cool guy. Yeah, he said the greatest thing he ever did for literature was refusing to write any. Yeah, I think that also applies in my case. <laughs> Me too. I can identify for sure. I think Alyssa's got the synopsis of The Color of Magic, which is the book we're discussing today. So let her take it away. I do. Thanks, Tim. The Color of Magic follows the misadventures of two flowers a tourist from the counterweight continent, and his reluctant companion, Rincewind. Two Flower has sailed across the Turnwise Ocean to the city of Ankh-Morpork in hopes of experiencing all the elements of classic adventure tales on his vacation. He wants to meet adventurers, witness tavern brawls, see a dragon, and capture pictures of it all to show off when he returns home. When the locals of Ankh-Morpork realize this newcomer is flush with cash, they all want a piece. Greedy to get in on the action, Rincewind, a local hedge wizard, agrees to be Two Flower's guide and to show him and his self-ambulating luggage around town when nothing short of madness ensues, the result of which sends Two Flower and Rincewind hiding across the continent where they encounter dryads, dragon riders, hydrophobic wizards, and an unspeakable tentacled monstrosity with a penchant for the number eight. Pratchett's book is an absurdist parody of fantasy tropes filled with clever language, innuendo, and of course, puns. I think I read in his Wikipedia page that with Discworld, with the color of magic in particular, he was aiming to do for fantasy what Blazing Saddles did for Westerns. I think he succeeded quite gloriously in that. I think so. I chuckled throughout this whole book. It was, it was pretty great. And I can also kind of see how it might have inspired other 
works that I've read. <laughs> oh, this is so great. This must be where they get that from. <laughs> I definitely can see that. I got, I mean, I, I'm not quite sure when it was published, but I got a lot of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy during some scenes, which I thought was pretty good. There's a scene where they're talking and what is it? Uh, I've got the quote here. Disc philosophers agree that the first men shortly after their creation understandably lost their temper. I'm like, that's that's very Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Well, I have to say, I came into this book with a lot of reluctance. I had read Mort because someone recommended that you start with Mort when you enter the Discworld series. And I did not particularly enjoy it. I just was like, eh, this isn't something that really, it didn't really grab me. And so I didn't think that I was going to like this book at all. Um, I'm happy to report that I did enjoy the book. And I think that part of it was from an in-depth study of it. it. It's definitely very detailed. There's a lot going on. There's a ton of characters. There's a ton of different, like the, the story kind of takes place in a series of four kind of mini adventures. And if you're not paying a lot of attention, it's really easy to get lost with all the things that are happening. But I think because I was preparing to talk about it for a podcast, I spent a lot more time in it, thought about it, how it was structured. I definitely can admire the writing. The writing is very clever. It's very well done. I spent time looking things up in the dictionary, which I yes. don't do very often because I have a pretty large vocabulary. I started highlighting but, things. <laughs> but I was so pleased to be looking up words and learning new words. That part was awesome. Um, and there were a couple of uh, there were a couple of parts that did make me laugh. I like my sense of humor is, is puns and, and sexual innuendo. Those are the things that really will get me to laugh out loud. And there were a few of those in there. But other than that, the humor is kind of like, it. it's not, I don't love it. <laughs> but I found myself by the end curious to try another Discworld book, which is very shocking to me, considering I was in there thinking I was going to not like this book at all. Right. <laughs> it was, I, yeah, I really thought it was great. The, you know, the world building of the, and like literally <laughs> describing the actual world, it's being carried through space on the back of a turtle that are, that also have elephants on its back. That's care. Okay. So it's the turtle, then the elephants, and then the disc on top of them. <laughs> and I was just like, that's so complicated, but okay. And, and the turtle is just, swimming through space or flying through space, zooming through space, well, slowly zooming through space towards a possible future Big Bang where they're, all the other world turtles are gonna mate. Yeah, <laughs> the it, Big it's, Bang. It's, it's going to the Sandals part. Resort for turtles. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, um, I definitely agree with Alyssa as far as the vocabulary. I, I started reading it. I read it digitally with Libby, uh, which is the library's ebook borrowing system. And then I had to switch to Google Play because Libby does not let you highlight words and then give you the definition. But Google Play, if you highlight a word, if you click on a word, it'll define it for you in the moment. And I was doing that a lot. And then, yeah, with regards to the world, I thought it was great, but you definitely have to flex your imagination because yeah, there's the turtle and then which the big bang thing was so funny. Um, <laughs> uh, but just getting the, I guess, the section where you start getting into the, the gods on the peak and then the upside down mountain, I was just like, man, I really got to stretch my imagination. How does an upside down mountain 
work? Is it upside down gravity? And it was a whole thing. And I just, it was very good. You don't have to stretch too much because a lot of the laws of Discworld are kind of like the evolution of human thought, right? Like Discworld is the place where you might very well lose your soul through your nose by sneezing. You can sail off the end of the earth. The sun travels around Discworld, not Discworld around the sun. The gods control your fate by playing dice games. I um, haven't considered it that way. That is, yeah. yeah. I love how Rincewind is so disappointed in his trajectory in life, the poor guy, because of that one time when he was a kid and he just was a little bit rebellious and opened up a book he shouldn't have. And now that spell sits in his mind and he can't have any other spells working in there so now he's like a defunct wizard poor guy <laughs> but he yearns because of that he yearns for science and he doesn't understand that that's what he's yearning for <laughs> it's just oh it was, it was a little little sad but just like to see that he wanted to harness electricity and they're like how would you put a harness on electricity <laughs> <laughs> And that he was thinking of how a camera would work. And then it just turns out it's an imp inside a box drawing. For him. <laughs> he was so disappointed. Well, and that's funny because before he knows how it works, he, he gets the guards to stand still for the picture by telling them he has a box with a demon in it that, that will make your picture. And that's exactly, of course, what it turns out to be. It was a little right. <laughs> demon inside the box painting pictures. You know, now thinking about it and how some of Discworld works with your imagination, I wonder if he if he made that the truth now. <laughs> Once he said it, now it was the truth. But I don't know. I put the poor guy. He just went he just went science in his life. <laughs> well, that's true really... because there were there were parts where the magic, right? When it's like you're in a pocket of magic things come to being right out of your imagination yeah yeah. maybe he was in a pocket of magic maybe <laughs> i really like that the magic system is like alive like the spell is alive it came out of the book on its own and it wants to be said and it it's in his brain and it's just like right it lives in his brain and i'm just like that's so i haven't i've seen it done in like a, a cartoon that came out a few years ago called star versus the forces of evil but it was different and of course, but I just, I think that's such a cool idea for spell system and like the magic system is actually, it's, it's very well thought out without being like, oh, well, we can just do whatever, whenever, cause whatever, like it's. Right, there are boundaries. Firm. There are boundaries to the magic. Yeah. Yeah. And I like how like, a lot of things are alive, like the luggage, oh, the luggage. <laughs> I love that luggage. I thought it was so, it reminded me of the Howl's Moving Castle. Like the, whenever they brought it up, I was like, that's how I felt like it moved. If you've seen that movie or read the book. So the way I would describe Discworld, there's a quote in there on page 83. And it says, it was all very well going on about pure logic and how the universe was ruled by logic and the harmony of numbers, but the plain fact of the matter was that the disc was manifestly traversing space on the back of a giant turtle, and the gods had a habit of going around to the atheist houses and smashing their windows. <laughs> no, that had me cracking up too. I was like, oh, how can you be an atheist in this world? It's, 
when they're so obviously involved gods. <laughs> gods are jerks. They really are. Typically, <laughs> they um, usually are. <laughs> did you guys all admit I didn't read the entirety of the book? I panic read half of it. But was there like a metaphor between Lady playing a game with fate? Is I I, I didn't understand what that was or if this was just like I, I didn't understand what the character of lady represented lady is lady luck <laughs> that's what ah, that's okay. why she has such an affinity to gamblers <laughs> and likes to roll the dice and stuff like that luck against oh, fate i got you i didn't get I didn't... that at all <laughs> one of my favorite things is like the first thing that two flower it gives rinswin some gold and offers you know, would you be my guide? Because Rinswin's the only one who can communicate with him. And Rinswin's first thought is, I should take this gold that he's given me and get a fast horse and get out of here. And then he says, oh, but this guy. And then the next scene is Rinswin at the gate with his horse having been shot <laughs> and being told that he has to go back and see to the safety of this guy. He's, yeah, <laughs> it's like his... He's tied to this man now <laughs> who wants to and not it, run from trouble, but run to it and take pictures. <laughs> and of course, at the start of the book, you know, you kind of get a premonition of what's going to happen because it's Broad and the Weasel watching Ankh Morpok burn to the ground and taking bets on whether that was the oil house or the pub. Or... It took me a, a bit of a it was a tough time to get started. I did not know what was happening in the first part of the book because it was a flashback, I think. Um, yeah, no, I, I think you you start off and it is very fantasy. You're like these two heroes and they're everything that's going on. And then as you slowly progress, you start to get a lot of more of that British humor, a lot of that Monty Python-esque like ridiculousness, Rincewind doing magic or pretending to do magic to escape a guard and then he kicks him in the nuts <laughs> to distract him and then he just flees i thought that was brilliant and that's not something necessarily you would see in any other fantasy book i really appreciate that it doesn't take itself seriously i feel i feel like most fantasy is just like yes and then the barbarian savagely cut the guy's head off and then everybody was sad and angry and all this i'm like uh I think this is a reaction towards that. Like, this is like, okay, you guys have, like Terry Pratchett said, you guys have had enough fun doing those weird Conan the Barbarian things. Now let's have some fun with it. <laughs> let's turn it on its head. Just because how, uh, yeah, the the heroes are like these meatheads that, <laughs> that can barely hold a conversation. <laughs> and, um, but yet they have all of this uh, influence and power <laughs> because- they are the heroes. They are the designated heroes. Right. Traditionally, it's written from the hero's point of view. And here you get Rincewind, who is not your traditional hero. And uh, again, from the book, page 35, his thoughts on heroes. What he didn't like about heroes was that they were usually suicidally gloomy when so sober and homicidally insane when drunk. <laughs> that, was, that was great. And you do get a little bit of insight into the heroes of this world later on when they meet the dragon. Oh, no, before that, with the with the Hron. 
Krun, Run. Krun the Barbarian. Yeah. Can't have a fantasy novel without words you're not sure how to pronounce. <laughs> yeah, Krun the Barbarian. And, and later on when he finally gets to kind of settle down, he's like, you know what? Maybe I want to settle down. <laughs> but no, you are not allowed. He also says Ren was practically an academic by hero standards because he could utter words of more than two syllables with a couple of hints. <laughs> and he could think without moving his lips. It was, it was, this is a really great book. <laughs> I'm really glad that we started, that we read this one. <laughs> Just because sometimes when you read series books out of order, you don't see the progression of the writing that the author has done. So yeah <laughs> this was a hilarious book uh i really like that you know he run felt very cartoony and i really like that aspect to him he didn't feel like it was obvious he was conan the barbarian-esque but he also felt very cartoony they describe him as what is it a, a tomato sitting on a coffin i don't remember that <laughs> um, i do like how stereotypical the clothing that run had and like any time type like you know he barely wore anything oh that he's underwear. he stole from somebody by killing them with his teeth <laughs> yeah. yeah no he, i was like this guy is like a cartoon character like through and through like when they first describe him i, I swear it's in there <laughs> they describe him as a his head is a tomato sitting on top of a coffin because they're saying his head is so small and his body so big. It was, I believe, in the section where Rincewind gets kidnapped by, or rather captured by the Dryads, and they're seeing the vision and they see his horse, which is also just a, this giant horse. I guess horses are giant generally, but like an even bigger horse. <laughs> and I'm just like, this guy's a cartoon character, and I really, I haven't been picturing everybody as cartoon characters, despite how silly it is, but this guy was just like, I love how goofy this character is for being Conan, essentially. I had to mute because my dogs are going crazy, but maybe we could talk about the Dragon Rider scene a little bit. So that, I didn't get that far, but I did read ahead uh, on like Spark Notes or something to see what happened. And I'm definitely gonna finish the book because that sounds super rad. Yeah, I, I like how um, Two, whoa, Two Flower, <laughs> I briefly forgot, how, <clears throat> how Two Flower was able to kind of harness that magic in that spot, <laughs> that, that realm of Worm, Wormberg, <laughs> Wormberg. <laughs> um, in that specific spot, which I think is why the mountain is upside down, there were uh, mage wars at the beginning of time and in certain areas the magic goes crazy it's the like old wild magic <clears throat> is still is still running rampant and which is why I think the mountain is upside down <laughs> but you have to be able to have an imagination to control control it um, uh, to flower because he is so had so much been yearning to see the world he was able to imagine up a solid dragon where everybody else there could only imagine up like really see-through-y see dragons 
that weren't quite fully formed. And I thought that was that was a nice little touch that he got to have that. He's he's getting to have his adventure to the to the horror of Rincewind. <laughs> so yeah, the everything is definitely happening to Rincewind. How did you picture the inverted mountain? Like I pictured it kind of like an inverted cone with the tip of the cone like down on the surface of the planet or the disc, I guess. And then yeah. the mountain going upward like in a V with a plateau on top. And then there were caves, especially near the top where the dragons would fly in to the caves. And then um, because the dragons, of course, they've got their claws and they want to connect to the ceiling. So they would perch up there, but then the dragon riders they had to get to them. So they had to use these hooks that were set into the wall and these boots with connectors on them and walk their way up here while they're hanging upside down and kind of go in, get on a dragon and then take off out to go hunting or wherever they wanted to go on their dragon back. Every now and then they talk about the the dome of the of Discworld. And so that's why I was thinking it was still on top of Discworld. <clears throat> so do you think it's connected to the, I guess, the atmospheric dome potentially? Because I, I thought it was like how Alyssa described where it's just resting on a tippy point and magic. Yeah, that's what I was imagining as well. Because uh, they mentioned the dome, that's why I just felt like it was still on top of the disc. Not because it's attached to the dome, just because they have dragons that can fly up that high. <laughs> well, yeah. and Two Flower also has spent his whole life dreaming of dragons. So yeah. perhaps maybe that's why he's better at dreaming up dragons than they are. Yeah. But I yeah. love how when the dragon gets up too high, and the oxygen level sinks and he passes out then the dragon winks out of existence yeah that's clever i really appreciate that we talked about how he's a tourist and it's just so much fun to have essentially like a modern day stand-in for like a normal person essentially they're just like it's a camera uh, it tells, it's a pocket watch, it tells time, it's, you know, stuff like that. And he's just so, we, I sell insurance and nobody knows what insurance is. In, in sewerance. <laughs> in sewerance. Yeah, it's but they don't, bet. he doesn't call it a camera. I think it's a, I think they call it a picture box. <clears throat> but it, but, you know, we identify, we can identify it as a camera. We definitely know what, what they're aiming for. <laughs> Yeah, he's, but he's yeah, just that, a, that they have ins, ins, insurance policies or insurance policies over in his kingdom world that he comes from that world kingdom land. Yeah, it's, <laughs> the, and it's a the countercontinent, the counterweight continent, counterweight yes, which is heavy and balances the disc and made with a ton of gold, which is how they make it heavy. <laughs> and I, just, I was like, but wait, I thought they were balanced on the elephants you know what i'm not gonna worry about it <laughs> it's it's all very precarious i think yes, this seems all very dangerous <laughs> and in the same vein as the insurance it took me a while to figure out that they were referencing things that are part of our modern day kind of world and the other one that got me was that reflected sound of underground spirits they say that several times reflected sound of underground spirits and i was like what the heck what is, is that? that yeah until until later he calls it, uh, Rincewind calls it Echo Nomics. Oh, yeah. 
it's essentially right economics right, insurance yeah. economics, economics the oh premium. the policy oh, po- is it the policy or the premium i can't remember oh, premium. What it is maybe it's maybe it's premium maybe it's probably he, that. he convinces yeah. the um, i love and then i love that they call it that they they liken it to placing a bet <laughs> yes honestly and that's why <laughs> What's his he burns that guy burns down his oh. <laughs> the tavern owner of the broken drum. Uh, yes. his name is Broadman. He get right. <laughs> Two flowers sells him an insurance policy or premium policy, I guess, right? And I, uh, he's like, he and then that I can't ex- that we're not gonna burn this that this isn't gonna burn down. <laughs> right. I, and then, I and then a demon that. shows up, yeah, and gets him I love to, that so much because it's the first time you really get like a big action scene everybody starts fighting and i just love that they're like the tourist board shows up the newly yes. formed tourist the merchant board like, the merchant guild <laughs> yeah like, we want how long has the merchant guild been money. here <laughs> we just hours, started I, <laughs> I love that so they try to rescue the guy but oh, that's so good i just got the economics thing i didn't understand like i was like i don't get it but then when you said it echo no i'm like oh god yeah I, I was racking my brain over that as well. Oh, the reflected sound of underground spirits. Yeah, I wasn't going to get it until they started actually kind of putting, put like echo no mix. <laughs> I love that. And to give the reader an idea of just how much gold Two Flower is traveling with, like Rincewind uses a ton of it in that scene because he's using it as weapons. As he's throwing weapon. it at people and <laughs> Yeah, he's got a roll of quarters in his fist, a roll of gold coins in his fist. Using his like laying brass into knuckles. people. I was horrified. I was like, "No, no, you're gonna need that." <laughs> I just I want to know how much gold he has because I feel like he's just lost a bunch. And at this point, like, I know he's like a kind of naive, but I'm just like, I man, he's just he losing like... a bunch of money on just. Yeah, I think he started out with 2,000 coins, but I don't know what 2,000 gold coins looks like. <laughs> so it's heavy. I can't imagine. That's well, that's why you have the luggage. <laughs> I love that luggage. I want one. I just, it's like between a mimic from Dungeons and Dragons and a, just uh, like a weird mechanical creature. I just, it's so cool. I just, I want one. The luggage is my favorite character, too. It totally cracks me up. And he's like vicious. He's like biting people and he's like, I'll break your, like, he eats the bird and stuff. I'm like, what? Okay. Jeez. He carries around a body for a while. <laughs> he finally, like, lets him go. <laughs> it gets used as a raft. It's very like multi purpose. Very, very convenient, except for when they have that brief blip into a different universe. And then it like, <laughs> it kind of causes a hole in a plane. <laughs> but that was an interesting little side tangent where, oh yeah, they were, this was when the, they were falling because the drag, because <clears throat> what two, two flower had gotten knocked out and the dragon had disappeared and they somehow blip into another universe that has an aeroplane and they are now he, for a brief moment they forget who they were and they're like people that lived in that universe and then and then the luggage comes back and because it's always going to find two flower <laughs> and then they go back into their universe they flip back into their universe that was very fascinating um 
I'm eager to look at more books in this in this world to see to just to see how it how it blossoms because this is so wonderfully um imagined and written and set up that that is this this just got there's 22 books in this series <laughs> so I'm eager to read more of this the world definitely seems well thought out you were talking about magic earlier one of the things that I like in the description of magic is how it leaks out of the books. It's like toxic waste. It seeps into the ground. And, and so they have to engineer all these ways to contain right. the stray magic. Whenever, whenever uh, I'm a, a wizard who writes his grimoire, whenever he dies, his magic in the grimoire goes crazy. The spells go crazy. So they have to contain that. <laughs> Oh, we haven't even talked about the reason for that. This book is called The Color of Magic. Wizards can see colors and there's an eighth color, octarine, or is that the element? Octarine. Octarine is the color. Yeah. It's the color. And, and how that influences Rincewind sometimes and like you can see something happening and he's like, oh God. <laughs> Just um, in the it's very very intriguing it's like the whole synesthesia type um element right and he can also see death that's another characteristic of wizards and death keeps making cameos throughout the entire yes. series and talking to him in all caps but yes. only he can hear death only the wizards only the wizards when death is coming after them yes when it's when it's their time <laughs> except that he keeps rincewind keeps managing to cheat death yes. because lady luck's on his side yes <laughs> I know Death is a fan favorite of the series, but honestly, I didn't find him that compelling in this book so far from what I've read. I just thought he was a very typical, uh, I guess, depiction of the figure of Death where he's just like, I'm just doing my job and he just is out here killing stuff. And I'm like, well, he is up until like the, up until the point where he can't catch Rincewind and he's like, I'm going to get that guy. <laughs> And and you they talk about the illusion of he has he has a smile on his face but you can't but he doesn't because he it's just a, <laughs> it's just a I did appreciate that face <laughs> um, but there's expression to him without there being expressions at all <laughs> um, he's, he's a death stock character <laughs> you do get a little bit of him when he takes the um, he takes the life of the wine cellar and one ninth of the lives of the cat underneath the wine stall but he didn't take any pleasure in it. and then he takes the life of a gnat when he when rincewind slows through his fingers again i was like that wasn't gonna last long anyway why you gotta be a jerk <laughs> come on <laughs> it's but, gotten to the point where until you had mentioned it just now that he keeps avoiding death because of lady luck i had thought that that's what the spell did i, I again i I don't know if he uses it in this novel, but I thought that the spell that he kept that was in his mind, I thought it just, it made him immortal. But now that you mentioned it's Lady Luck, I'm like, oh, that makes way more sense. So I'm just, I'm curious to see what it does. Yeah, he has an interesting, really, because, you know, Lady Luck is either on your side or not. And he just seems to always have the worst luck. Like eight is a very important number to wizards that they don't speak about to the point where his room is not seven or eight. It is seven A <laughs> from when he was studying to be a wizard. <laughs> Again, like that's, that's like, you know, the 13th floor thing from this yeah. world. I mean, very, very similar. 
But it's interesting because all of the magic stuff is octo, octarine, uh, octavan, or whatever they call the the metal. It's all octo something, and I think it's really what is it? Oh God, what's his name? Shal Behagoth or whatever. I, I don't know his name, but like Bel Shamharoth. Bel Shamharoth. I need to catch up on my uh, Cthulhu type words, I guess. But like his whole deal is eight, and he's like, you can't say eight. And I'm like, this is like a creature made of pure magic from some other dimension and everything like that. And it's just this whole thing is the number eight. And I'm just like, I think that's really cool that a number is a powerful source of magic and it's like you can't do that it's evil you know, blah, blah, blah. now that i'm thinking about it i wonder if there are so many eight-sided things in that temple is because it's keeping him trapped there because he loathes the number eight so much because it once he said once somebody spoke ah the sword that magic sword spoke the word eight and that's when the monster was able to break free because it was hates the number eight and it's going to kill anybody that says the number eight <laughs> So I wonder if those shapes are what was keeping it trapped in that temple. Oh, I hadn't considered that. That's actually my favorite scene in the book when they're when they're in that temple of Belshamharoth. I love that. I love that creature, the fight with the tentacles and Kron the Barbarian and Kring the Sword, and everybody's coming together. But what happens when the when the tentacled monster is coming out of the pit? It's got a hold of everybody. Death looks imminent, right? He's getting excited on the side. <laughs> but then all of a sudden the picture box starts going off because Tufar wants a picture of everything and it starts charging up. There's these little white, or these little creatures inside that start to glow. Salamanders. salamanders. Yeah. <laughs> and their tails start getting very, very bright. And all of a sudden it goes off and it blinds Belshamharoth and sends him <laughs> scurrying back into his pit. It's how the picture box takes a flash, uses flash photography. <laughs> right. It's, it's right, the equivalent then... of the flash. And Bell Shamaroth is just one big eye and a bunch of tentacles. So right, it but, blinds him. Um, he got his thumb in the picture. <laughs> Renswind got the thumb in the picture. <laughs> picture didn't happen. I really liked that they went ahead and they were like, they felt the need to explain how the salamanders work. They're like, oh, the salamanders eat magic energy and light. And then that's, and then they just get full. And then the light is their like, poop or farts or whatever and like and I'm just like okay uh I like that that's creative you know just describing the effect that the picture box has on everybody when Rincewin likens that to to magic because he found that by holding the picture box he could control people's movements and what they would do and that's true even in Run. Run decides to stick with them because Run wants pictures of himself in a very uh, his, his ego typical, <laughs> right was well, he's, he's got sort of the uh the narcissistic tendencies of the heroes to want their glorious image displayed everywhere but of course all those pictures are only in black and white because they've used up all the pink in the whorehouse at the beginning <laughs> god what a what a novel <laughs> They got all mad. No pink. No pink. <laughs> you should have taken all those pictures. <laughs> I really want my friend who likes Conan a lot to read this book and tell me what he thinks of Fran. I really want to know what a fan of Conan gets out of this. It's like reading Blazing Saddles. 
it it really is they did a really the names that they pick for these characters i tried reading some other fantasy novel and i just i couldn't get past all the names because you know they give them names like who for golfer or something like something you're just like what are you talking about what are, what are these words and like the names that he picked are great because they're just like weird sounds without being complicated. They're only well, all, I've got a guy here named Rurp and Slorf, and I'm just like, what? Okay, uh, you know what? These are like, it's a fun satire of the names, but also it's like in line with what you would find in another, uh, I guess, non-satiric fantasy novel. And I'm just like, this is this is excellent. Well, because sometimes those names, like trying to pronounce it over and over again in your head as you read, pulls you out of the story a little bit. But on the other hand, you can't have characters named Bob and Sally throughout. So yeah. there are some times when I would read books and I, and uh, I the names were an issue. <laughs> I think it's just a running thing where the names are always going to be be bizarre but like i would let you know what your name your name is gonna be sally because i can't keep going with this <laughs> just time i see this collection of letters it's sally <laughs> i mean what is it charlene harris has a new series and it's a fantasy series technically they're what is it cowboys fighting wizards russian wizards and i mean you I'll bet their name Bob and Sally in that. So, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Let's find out. Oh, gosh. This is, I just, it's a very good book. I started off not liking it. I thought it was very hard to read and I just couldn't get into it. And at some point, I tried enough and it just, it really grabbed me. And I'm super excited to, to finish it off. And I'm curious to see what other, what the other books entail and what they hold. I don't know if I'm going to follow the chronological order of the writing versus like Alyssa had mentioned earlier, there is the, uh, I guess the four character driven stories. I don't know which one I would do, but I think I'll try the character driven stories because I want to see what goes on with Rincewind, but excellent book. I'm very glad I stuck with it. Well, to find out what happens with Rincewind, you're going to have to read the next book <laughs> in the series. Because <laughs> uh, this one ends with a cliffhanger or cliff fall over. <laughs> a waterfall hanger? Waterfall, yeah. water hanger? <laughs> it's pretty great. It just kind of like ends. And you're like, what? No. Oh, there's absolutely no more pages in this book. <laughs> So like I said, I haven't read it. I've been saying it. Tell me about it. I want to hear what goes on. So spoil it for me. What's <laughs> what's going on in that ending? Well, they make their way to another to another kingdom. I, oh, the I kingdom can't... of of Crawl. Where Kroll, I'm like, wait, is right? that where they got the name for the movie Crawl? <laughs> and the Crawlians are basically they call it a starship that they're building that they're going to launch over the edge of the disc. And it's the way it's described, I and you know, this just could be my false picturing, but it sounds like they're stringing a bunch of paper clips together and they're going to hang this thing over the side to, to see what the turtles uh, 
genitals look like. <laughs> I the, that's what they're doing, right? They they want to see what they, they find what, out whether the turtle's is, a boy or a girl. Right, it's a boy or a girl. It's because it's important for later on when they when when there's potential mating happening. I just can't wrap my head around how would two world turtles mate? <laughs> they have the elephants the on their back coming. and. Uh, they're in space so maybe they can do like a upside down thing <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i can't <laughs> but yeah so I, they're going I'm, they're well, in order to satisfy uh an agreement with fate they agree to sacrifice two specific people to fate so that and because he's he was thwarted by lady luck he wants those two guys. He wants he wants Rincewind and Two Flower to be sacrificed to him, <laughs> and then they'll have a, they'll, the they will have good luck, good fate for their voyage, <laughs> their endeavors, and so they are brought to be sacrificed to 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 crawl, <laughs> and um and they don't they don't get sacrificed because they destroy <laughs> they destroy crawl. <laughs> yeah, and like we get a lot with of the help of the luggage. Teams. Actually, the luggage destroyed. Really, the luggage okay. does a lot of the heavy lifting. <laughs> MVP luggage coming clutch. <laughs> yeah, it's not just luggage. It's doing the heavy. It's the fighting that's doing the heavy lifting. <laughs> they and owe so, that luggage a foot massage. Really, it's got so many feet. <laughs> they need to relax <laughs> i really like that the reason it's alive is because the wood is sentient sentient pear wood yeah i'm like you, you see that in other fantasy things but the fact that it's like ambulatory and just a whole living creature that's just following you around and stuff is not something you see very often you get stuff like that but usually it's because it's enchanted or cursed or a, something like that it's not usually oh well it's alive because it was alive to begin with which is super cool uh, i don't know i just i love the love i don't know last time i was on the podcast we talked about what is it uh the project hail mary project hail mary and i loved the the little alien i think in that i think i just little spider monsters or something like that i just i think i think i like little creatures man i don't know these these guys are great yeah, i i have an affinity towards the luggage too i really i'm not so much don't think i agree with the picture that's on this book that i have where it has actual human type legs <laughs> many of them i did not picture that i don't i don't quite know i think i was thinking more like paws because i i it, in my head it's like a it's like a dog it's like a cute little dog that wants to run around after its master but uh and i was like oh human legs that's kind of gross <laughs> i think sure well, human looking legs like human shaped legs many of them sort of centipede like attached to a treasure chest with teeth and a tongue and gold inside and sometimes other things inside right right it's but that you're you're uh, I don't know why I just was like uh, my brain was like no let's not do human legs we're gonna do something cute <laughs> yeah in my brain they were like little uh they're just like long I guess gold spindly legs is what I imagine kind of like I guess like a spider but but skinny huh. uh, I don't know that's just what came to my mind and I don't like bugs so you'd think I wouldn't appreciate that but that's just I think that's just like a really cool dwarven imagery i guess from skyrim if you've ever played that or ever seen that 
kind of vibe. So I don't know. I I did picture it with human feet, but its mannerisms are very dog-like. So who would you who would you recommend it to? Somebody who wants a a good ad- funny adventure, <laughs> like um, yeah, because this was so it was so fun. Maybe somebody who wants something to to bring up their mood i would definitely recommend this too i guess somebody who's read hitchhiker's guide and and i don't know how if they've read hitchhiker's guide not really heard about this but <laughs> they usually kind that of go me. hand in hand they're like so it's, i think i think if you look at um read alikes i'm sure that they come up together <laughs> hitchhiker's guide fans would would love it i yeah. would think that fans of the el sprague de camp uh, conan the barbarian series would love it mm-hmm. and uh fans of christopher moore would love it you know if you haven't read practical demon keeping i highly recommend that so i i think you you could definitely hook up some people who who like that lighter sense <laughs> of dry humor yeah um, i think it could have a broad audience i mean obviously it is quite well known <laughs> i hadn't read it but this is my first time reading this but it, I had known of it. <laughs> it's also similar to some other comedic fantasy series. It's similar to the Xanth series by Piers Anthony, which is also a 40 some odd long series of books filled with <laughs> absurdity and puns. It's similar to um, the Myth series by Robert Asprin. It, that one is hard to find now, but if you haven't read it, it's also got a, it's also full of lots of puns. And then a more modern series that that I've been enjoying more recently is one by Scott Myers. Um, I can't remember the name of the name of it, but I think um, I wish I could remember it. Scott Myers. I don't know. You'll have to delete that okay. this part out. <laughs> no, that's the um, is that the one that you were talking about where magic comes and goes? Nope, that's a different series. It comes Spell or High Water, I think, is one of the titles mm-hmm. of that one. But Scott Myers but, has a series, yeah, also that's similar comedic fantasy. I looked him up, and I think it's called Magic 2.0. Yes. Does that sound? Yes. Yes, the Magic, Magic 2.0. 2.0 series by Scott Myers is good, similar as well. Off to be a wizard, Spell or High Water, Out of Sight, Out of Mind, those, yes. those sort of titles. It. So. If I had to recommend this book to anyone, it would be to my friend Michael, who's a fan of Conan. That's that's my 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 two cents. If you like all the other stuff, read it, of course. But just shout out to my friend Michael, who likes Conan. I wanna I wanna see what you think of this, and I really hope that you like it because it's not the most flattering picture of barbarians all the time. But I, I, I just it's it's so cheeky and it's very much like him. So, uh, yeah, that's definitely who I would recommend it to. But really anybody, like you guys said, anybody who likes Hitchhiker's Guide, anybody anybody who likes Blazing Saddles and likes fantasy, like in any capacity, I think that would be great. I think they'd love that. So I was digging around last night and I noticed that there is a BBC production of Color of Magic with uh, uh, Tim Curry's in it. Yeah. No way! Tim, Tim Curry's <laughs> never done anything bad. <laughs> yeah that's yeah. pretty much true as far as i know now i have to watch it okay all right well that's i don't know who he plays oh god sean i think sean astin is two flower well it doesn't Maybe matter it's not oh. BBC, but, but it is sean astin 
and Tim Curry, and I'm not sure who the guy who plays Rince Wind is. Um, I haven't seen him before, but it's got Brian Cox in it, too. I know what I'm doing tonight. <laughs> okay, well, um, 2009, if this is the one. <laughs> this is it better fantastic. Be good. I'm going to have to look this up. I can only imagine how ridiculous this will be. Oh, neat. Terry Pratchett makes a cameo in it. A la Stan Lee. <laughs> so now on to the really important topic of the day. Alyssa, did you finish Stranger Things yet? I have not. I <laughs> I have oh. one ep- No, I have one episode left to go. It's been my was... it's been my prize for finishing my summer semester. Oh. And uh and I'm watching it with my partner, so I have to wait till a time when we're both available. We watched a good a couple a couple episodes this weekend. And we'll probably go home and watch the last episode tonight. That was me for a long time. I was waiting to watch the last episode with my sister. And it's like two hours long, two and a half hours long. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. I I thought about it. And at the at the end, one of the characters is reading a book. Oh, no and, spoilers. Hold on. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not I'm not gonna spoil anything except for this because that book is The Talisman by Stephen King. Have any of you read that? Stephen King not. and Peter Straub. No, I've actually never read any of the Stephen King books. I know, Michelle Corr. <laughs> well, now, now we have to. It's all sci-fi fantasy, man. So I would, I would urge you to look at The Talisman very, very seriously. Like, uh, yeah, just... Just read the description, maybe the first couple of pages. If you don't love the werewolf, then something's wrong with you. Oh. <laughs> okay, I'll have to check that one out. You know what? Yeah, me too. Thank you for bringing that up. That, I had a note here. There's also a like giant universe turtle in Stephen King's. There is, yes. Multiverse That's right. thing. There is. I, was, I, I totally it, forgot about that. It's a a common myth in a lot of cultures. So uh, I think he was pulling from some of those. I think many authors kind of pull from those. (laughs) I think we covered it, right? I think we're we're good. You'll you'll have to let us know next time what you thought about the end of Stranger Things. Will do. Thank you for listening, everybody. If you enjoyed this episode or other episodes we've done, please remember to rate or click the little heart button wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can view our book list reviews and suggested reads at on our Goodreads page. Uh, it's Sapple Escape the Earth. We're the only Sapple Escape the Earth on Goodreads. You can write us with stories, suggestions, random thoughts, interesting sci-fi geek culture information at sappleescapetheearth at gmail.com. And join us next month for our discussion of Goliath by Tochi Onyabuchi. Escape the Earth. Escape.